Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Jess Messen Broadcast is hosted by Jess Bowl, a visual artist from Baltimore, Maryland. Jess invites those who've inspired her to recount their tales of becoming professional artists and creators. Through sharing memories and stories, Jess and her guests relive experiences, discuss new projects, and foster new ideas, all while making sense of this crazy pop culture world we live in. Tune in weekly for a variety of guests ranging from musicians, designers, artists, and entrepreneurs who are actively creating the world around us. And now, it's time for Jess Messin Broadcast with Jess Full. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Full coming to you live from my studio here that apparently, okay, I just fixed it. Studio in Baltimore. It's a nice rainy winter day here, and we're trying to figure out this uh, switchboard situation. That's why there was a little bit of an echo, but I think we got it figured out. Keith, are you there? Yep. Awesome, because that's the major part of this. So today on Lions Radio Network on Jess Mess and Broadcast, we have Keith Decent. He's an artist, maker, and doer, and we're going to talk shop and literally talk shop because he's a craftsman, woodworker, upcyclist, um, and he uses all those big-ass machines that I'm, like, super afraid of, so I can't wait to go over that. So a little background on him. Um, artist, maker, upcyclist, content creator, living in New York, Hudson Valley, region growing up in and around New York metropolitan area. He is a fan of urban decay and plastic bags stuck in razor wire are among his favorite things on earth. And I totally understand that. That comes straight <laughs> like from the that. website, doesn't it? Yeah, it totally does. Which is, <laughs> yeah. It's a great bio. Cause like sometimes I pick up bios and they're like nine drafts long and I'm like, Oh my God, like I can't handle yeah, it. I don't, I'm, I'm not beyond long bios cause no one cares. No one, no one cares. I know. Mine's getting ridiculous. I should really splice that down and just put it back to glue and shit to other shit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, you know, like, just keep it simple. So, Keith, tell us a little bit about how, like, the background in you starting to create. Because we have a lot to go over in a short amount of time. I have questions. For, you have an amazing YouTube channel that's super successful. You have a very successful Instagram where people are really interacting with you. So I want to go over that a little bit, but give us a background as to what inspired you to get started. Well, I've been uh, kind of a creative person since I was a kid. Uh, I was always drawing and always messing around with stuff and pretty much did drawing and painting for most of my life up until about uh, high school when I got into like digital programming and graphic design back during the original dot-com boom and uh, went to college for art. That didn't really work out, came back kind of got disenfranchised uh, disenfranchised with the whole thing and did some manual labor stuff for money and uh, ended up coming back around to it uh, and just st- started doing some woodworking, some crafting, and uh, that took off. And when people were paying me for the woodworking stuff and the typical kind of handyman stuff, I st- started getting a following online because uh, I started posting content and, and doing content creation, like you said. And after a little while, I thought to myself, you know, I was so uh, anti the art world in general because 
as people know, it can leave a bad taste in your mouth pretty easily uh, dealing <laughs> yes. with dealing with our art world types. And uh, I just figured, you know what, screw it. At this point, I don't think I need any of them, really. I don't need galleries or anything like that. I, I think people just might want what I have to, to, to sell to make. And I started right. painting again and drawing and sketching, and uh, it's been going pretty well for that. So when – what was it about – you know, kind of turning to, because there's a lot of artists doing this now, and, you know, you can speak of, like, Ashley Longshore, and she's a huge advocate for saying that we don't really need galleries as artists anymore. We can curate our own content and everything with these platforms that we've been given. What was the attraction for you to that? Are you, like, super into tech? Is that for you? Or did you see it as, like, a viable outlet that you could monopolize? Like, what was the draw? Yeah, I think um, what tech and social media does is it gives you a really democratic kind of egalitarian uh, system to work in, whereas in a gallery system, it's not necessarily merit-based. It's it's reputation-based and who you know and all this kind of stuff, and it's tough to get into a gallery. When you're in the gallery, it's really like you're, you're playing an investment game for other people with your life's work. You know, um, the value of your work is being told to you by other people, and it's appreciating or depreciating based on what they think. And online, I can just say, hey, this is what I made. This is what it's worth to me. If you want to pay that, then then buy it from me. And usually someone does. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because, like, there's a sense sometimes when you go into gallery shows, and I've been lucky in recent years where I've been able to dictate price. Sometimes that works out great, and sometimes I overprice. But, you know, basically the way I price my work is I have, a, I have an hourly rate and I figure out, you know, how many hours it took. I figure out my material costs. And if it wasn't anything because it's like upcycled or whatever, like I take that into consideration and I price the stuff accordingly, you know. Yeah. Um, but some people are like, oh, you know, for a painting this size, I only want to pay $300, it's not very big, or $200, it's not very big. And it's like, well, that doesn't really de depend, like, matter to anything. Like, if it took me, um, you know, 10 hours to make the painting or whatever, that's what is important as far as pricing goes, you know? Yeah, well, that's what happens uh, on the other side of it is that's the, the drawback to the online stuff is that the communities online tend to, tend to look at things in a more DIY uh, amateur hobbyist uh, price range than right. if you like when you're in a gallery and you have representation, then there's a, you know, you know, you're going to get a certain amount of money for your stuff if you do. And cause people take that more seriously in art, they, they value that more naturally. Then when you're online, there's a lot more competition with people who aren't necessarily trying to make a living out of it, or, you know, they don't need as much money or want as much money, or they don't think things are worth that much. And yeah, so that's where the, the pendulum kind of swings back against it. But you can kind of rise above that a little bit just by, you know, being good <laughs> at what you're doing and and, and keep chipping well, away at sure. it. And... Yeah, you know, and that's what I mean. Like, even in the recent years for me, like that, I've seen a shift in that. And that's why I think it's, you know, cool for our listeners to hear about opportunities with Instagram and stuff like that, if that's what you're into and you're strong in it. I, on the other hand, am not. Like, I can't get into it. That's why I really, really admire people like you who are strong in that game. Like, I'm trying to get better at it. But, frankly, I just, like, kind of really don't want to. And I don't know what's wrong with me. I really don't. Like, I <laughs> – I mean, 
like should be like looking at this as a business opportunity and I just like can't get myself to get into it. I Well that's that's I the know. thing. I think if you look if you look at it as a business opportunity, then you're gonna end up treating it like any work that you don't want to do, like the accounting side of things or, you know, cleanup or anything that is part of the job that you don't want to actually do. But if you look at it as part of the art, you know, if you get into it as an art form itself and find different ways you can show off the work and fun edits and different ways to just connect with people. It's community and it's art at the same time that also shows off the other art that you're doing. So that, that really energizes me and keeps me going in that way and helps me find fun, new stuff. And when I look at other people who are successful on these, on social media and online platforms, I don't look for the people that are treating it like a business. I look for the people that are making something that no one else is doing and, and uh-huh. really treating it more, treating it more like an art form. And then I, I, I see what those people are doing and see how I can emulate in my own style, in my own direction, what they're doing. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, cause I definitely don't bring in like a personal level to it too much. And I'm, you know, I don't get into all like the algorithms and the rules of it. Like I don't tag and I don't all that stuff. And I get that that's so important. And so, you know, maybe that'll be like one of the takeaways I have from this conversation is to like kind of sit down and really figure out kind of what, I, you know, like what the online persona, what that wants to look like and kind of set like goals and agendas and how I can achieve that, you know, whereas now I'm like, here, this is the painting I made today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's also something genuine to be said about if you don't know what you're doing yet, being on there and just being like, I don't know what I'm doing yet, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and, and just and putting that. it out there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's how I, that's how I do a lot of my woodworking and stuff is I'm just like, I don't, I'm just making it up as I go along. Come along for the ride if you want. Okay. So tell us about your craft. And because I recently got myself a table saw last year and I'm using it as a really glorified um, high top table right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I have the blade like tucked all the way inside because I'm terrified of this thing. So what is, kind of like the trick to woodworking and you know using these tools and finding like comfort in it because I'm not working with it to the degree that you are I'm using it to just like make you know gallery frames and whatever and I just I haven't found like that comfort I have like I can spin a glue gun around hot as hell and not even worry about it but like this thing I'm like oh my god yeah, it's with the tools like that. It's I mean, and the table saw is one of the ones that is the, one of the scariest ones, honestly, because it's basically an exposed blade spinning at you know, like it'll it, it can throw a piece of wood at a hundred miles an hour right back in your face if you if you do something dumb. But I guess yes, really it's I just don't, it's just it's just, don't, it's just but... <laughs> it's just don't do anything dumb is kind of how I look at it. You know, if I'm distracted a little feeling up to it, I don't use those tools. Um, it's a comfort level that you should be you should be able to get a comfort level with them where you can use them effectively, but not so much that you're absent-minded around them. I think that's what most people who have gotten bit by those tools uh, would tell you. And friends of mine who have, have they you know they've lost a finger and gotten it sewn back on and whatnot, and they'll tell you they'll tell you exactly the same thing. I wasn't paying attention. I did something I know I shouldn't have been doing, you know, just to save a little time or you know I didn't want to turn the machine off or do this or that. I just absent-mindedly got themselves hurt. And it's always that it's never, you know, I was doing everything right. And the machine got me to it. That's almost never the way. So uh, it's just keeping, keeping the like head on racing right now, listening to the story. 
But it 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 can happen. You can't you can't get injured on these tools and it's um it's not it's not pretty. But it's not always a disaster either. A lot of times you just get a nice reminder. Um but I'm fortunate I've only really gotten myself with hand tools for the most part, not uh not any of the big stuff. So what was it that was like about cuz you know we can talk about the guitar in in particular cuz we have a lot of music, you know, fans and stuff. So Sure. You took that was a bunch of upcycled plywood, different types of plywood or tell us kind of like the process so, yeah. and thought behind making that because I mean it's a beautiful piece and I just like before we even get started, because he's going to go into detail about that a little bit, there's so many different textures and elements that come together to make this, like, one solid piece of art that really just makes the guitar so special. Like, you can turn it and twist it in any different way and catch something new, and I just think that's fascinating. So if you can walk us through it a little bit, that would be dope. Sure. Well, part part of what I like to do when I'm designing something that's upcycled uh, is fly by the seat of my pants and just use this mass collection of random garbage that I've accumulated uh, to produce the product. Uh, and so there was a, a podcast that I listened to called the modern makers podcast. Uh, and they had a contest to make, make something out of plywood. It was just a challenge, make something out of plywood and we'll help, we'll see who wins or whatever, you know, uh, basically just an excuse to come together with the community and do some wacky stuff. Um, and there were some really impressive uh, pieces of furniture in there. It was almost entirely furniture, and I just wanted to go a different direction and say, I'm going to make a, an electric guitar because it's something I've wanted to do for a while. But I didn't want to just get a kit like a lot of people do, which is totally fine. It's admirable. It's a great place to start. But I felt like it would be a disservice to myself to start with a kit, and I just did the whole thing from scratch, the neck, the internals. The only things I didn't make were the tuners and the um, the electronics because right. – I've tried to make tuners before, and they don't really work out very well uh, with my set of tools and skills. But I got some old cabinet, some old cabinet plywood from a renovation that was really nice from like the 1950s. So it was really tightly bound, no voids, really nice plywood from back in the day. And uh, my old workbench top, which was covering glue and paint and nail holes and drill holes. Uh, the way I the way I see if a drill bit size is uh, the right size, I drill a hole in something and then try to put the screw into it. I just instead of measuring or gauging, I just find something to drill a hole in real quick and see if that works like scrap paper. I know I do that. Um, I'm like, yeah, this is faster. <laughs> yeah. It's so much faster. So my workbench tops are always just full of like multiple sizes of holes <laughs> all the oh, time. Okay. I have and so, yeah, with, like my like, table tops all the time. Cause I'm like, I can't even like begin to fix this. This is over. <laughs> oh yeah. I just, I just built uh, having a removable bench top into my designs of my workbenches because it's so much easier just to you know, get a new piece of plywood, throw it on. Yeah, and then, like, you cut it down and use it for something later. It's not like it goes to waste. I love yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it looked it looked good enough, and I was like, you know what? This guitar is going to look like either a giant mess, and it's going to not work at all, or it's going to come together at the last second and actually sort of work, and that's kind of what happened. It sounds pretty okay. Uh, for a first electric guitar, and I built the pickup myself, too, out of, out of junk as well, so that's, you know, part of it. Uh, and the whole thing all together, I played it, and it stays in tune for, you know, about 20, 30 minutes of playing before it wants itself out of tune and uh, part of my goal this year is i'm going to go i have a few maker friends who have um larger scale more accurate equipment than i do i use mostly kind of home depot-esque tools to make stuff uh-huh. and uh they have like cnc electronic uh all that kind of stuff so i'm going to hop around to a few different shops here on the east coast and um 
fix the guitar. You know, we're going to make a new neck for it and new fretboards and figure out the stuff that I messed up and work on that stuff too. Well, that's cool. Cause like, there's even some really cute accents. Like I don't want to say I'm sure about this, but are those hinges that you use for the guitar to hold in the guitar strings and stuff at the bottom? Yeah. The, um, the, I guess it's called the saddle. Uh, so it, I, you know, because when you have a bridge on the guitar, sometimes it's uh, both, it holds the strings and it's adjustable. Uh, and it's where the strings and like, you know, the sound ends or whatever. But this is like right. a floating bridge on this guitar, and then there's a separate part where the strings go in. Uh, and I used a hinge because I had built a couple of Scarbox guitars before this, and I used a hinge on those. And I was like, well, I'll just use a bigger hinge. It worked really well on those other guitars. So yeah, the saddle at the at the end of the guitar is an old antique uh, cast iron decorative hinge that a couple of people got a little mad at me for drilling through, but I have a I have a bin full of them, so I didn't, you know. I was like, You're like relax, relax, we're fine. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's like probably like a hinge is probably worth like seventy five dollars if I want to sell it to the right person, but it's not worth seventy five <laughs> bucks to me. It's it's worth you know another year and a bit in a bucket. So yeah. Well, so kind of um, give us the scoop on the Hudson Valley area because I know that that's like really becoming a big rage for you know people who are vacating New York. I think you're like what about an hour and a half away from the city. Yeah, hour? just about. Uh, yeah, hour and a half. It should. It's like 65 miles or something. It really shouldn't be an hour and a half, but you know how driving in the city is. So no matter what you do, it takes between an hour and a half and two and a half hours to get to you know Manhattan or Brooklyn from here. But yeah, the, but the Hudson Valley. I've been Valley hearing thing, awesome stuff about it. Like that it is, a lot it's, of like create. It's becoming kind of like a creative epicenter outside of New York. Yes, very much. Because at first it was because people could afford it. Uh, but that's starting to go away a little bit too. It's it's getting cool up here, and and uh, you know it gets a little tougher to make to to earn your living and keep and keep everything here. But there's lots and lots and lots of creative people, which is well worth uh, putting in the effort, as it were. Um, artists and sculptors and all sorts of people. I mean, here in Beacon, the city I live in right now, like we have a modern art museum uh, called um, Dia, which has some great some great pieces in it. And uh, is a big tourist attraction. And also here in town, you, you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody who is a creative, uh, either a uh, restaurateur or a chef or a uh, brewmaster or a uh, painter or a designer or a sculptor or something. You know, they're, they're all over the place. And the art is everywhere. It's really amazing. It's, it's like no place I've ever been. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm trying to think of like some places that I'd love to just like go and experience like different, you know, just like a different surrounding, even if it's like for a week or something. And, you know, definitely be around creative people. You know, Asheville comes to mind and uh -huh. you know, many other like smaller towns, but or smaller, like small cities, you know, but I've just been hearing yeah. so much about the Hudson Valley thing that I'm like, yo, that could be like a cute little like getaway. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you could do, you know, there's three or four of the cities here. There's Beacon, which I'm in now, there's Woodstock, which has always been kind of a creative place and since, you know, the 60s. Uh, yeah. And then there's Kingston and Hudson and um, Phoenicia and all sorts of uh, cool little cities that have their own entire scenes going on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out because I just like, I actually started my art career, like my first web photo shoots and everything for all my artwork came out of Woodstock. And I had so much fun when I was there for a few days that I was like, yo, I could totally live this, but I'm in Baltimore now and it's crazy town. <laughs> yeah. Baltimore is a crazy place. It really is nuts. 
All right, man. Well, that's going to do it for us today. I'm so glad that we got to do this because, you know, if you haven't heard of Keith's work, it floats around the internet like crazy. So you might've seen it and not even know it, but Keith, tell us a little bit like where we can find you on the internet. What's your YouTube channel? What's your Insta? And sure, well, if you search podcast, yep. your podcast with the, Oh, right. The podcast. Wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to talk about that. Time sure. Uh, yep. Well, it's called from the ground up. And I guess the tagline is it's the story of how we make stuff. And uh, there wasn't any other podcast that gave a nice actual history of the, the, the things that we use, the tools, the, the materials that we use to build things, and then important builds, things that have been, have been built, and the way they were built is the interesting story. And then the people behind that and all sorts of stuff. It's a, it's a really fun listen, and it's quick. It's like between 8 and 20 minutes an episode. Yeah, and I know that you – it's so amazing because you work really hard on these and organize them so they're really, like, succinct and precise and whatever. And, like, it really does come off as, like, a very fluid, easy conversation and keeps you, like, your the attention span appropriate. It's, it's a pretty impressive podcast, I must say. Yeah, I, I, I work I, hard I, on I, it in the show. Thank you. I wouldn't listen to it if, it if it was an hour. That's why I decided on capping it around 20 minutes. <laughs> I know. That's why I keep the show at 30 minutes. I'm like, I think people have to know. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so tell us where you are on YouTube. What's your YouTube channel? Sure. Uh, it's Well, if you search Keith Decent, D-E-C-E-N-T, anywhere on the internet, you're going to find my Instagram, my YouTube. That's my username everywhere. Um, so Facebook and uh, all that fun stuff. And the podcast is ftgupodcast.com, which is from the ground up podcast.com. And uh, or KeithDeason.com. It's got all the links. All right, man. Well, I really want to thank you for doing this. I just so appreciate your work, and I appreciate following you on the internet because it's you know it's funny because we met through snarky comments on Tommy Rockstar's one of Tommy yeah. Rockstar's PR, <laughs> the Tommy Rockstar News Network. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of those threads. One of those threads, and you know, we just and I like looked at your page, and I was like, "Yo, this guy's making some really cool stuff. What's going on here?" And I think that's like such a testament to the power of the internet and using the internet appropriately and using it to connect. And ever since then, we've just kind of been, you know, rapping through comments and stuff like that. So to have you mm -hmm. on the show is you know, definitely appreciated because I just think your work is great and I love how you put thank it out you. there and you share it with all of us. I just think it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, my philosophy online is if you're everywhere, someone's going to find you. So. <laughs> Touché, man. Touché. <laughs> Seems to work. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. No problem. And I wish you the best and have a great day. And that's going to do it for us here. You've been talking with Keith Decent. And we're going to wrap it up here at Just Mess and Broadcast on Lions Radio Network. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And have a wonderful day. And we'll be back next week. Bye, Keith. Bye.